Simba, we're all together in the circle of life. I saw the rains down in Africa. You saw the rains, then you blacked it. It rained in Africa. I had a farm in Africa. I saw the farm. You know where the farm is now? It's a golf course. The Karen Country Club. Hey, it's the end of February, and it's another Glock Culture Podcast. I'm John Podhoritz in New York, fresh from Africa, off a plane from Africa. Literally an hour ago. And at, literally an hour ago is Rob Long. An hour, no, not an hour, two hours ago. Were you in the middle so. seat and coach? Not precisely <laughs> in so far as that is concerned specifically. <laughs> um, and uh, and back in Washington D.C. after a week of trappedness, trappedness in Austin, Texas, Jonah Goldberg. Hi, Jonah. Hello, John. Hello, Rob. Jonah, how's it going? So, so welcome back. How was Texas? I mean, w- Texas is a uh, is one more is 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 one more example of the total failure of government. Is it not, or is it? Did Wait, I, before, well, I was in Africa, so I was really just catching up on on Twitter. <laughs> But is that, is that true? Before you go into this, I just have to say one thing. When Jonah informed me uh, a couple of days into his sojourn in t- that he was trapped, couldn't get out, had no flights or something like that, I texted him back and I said, well, at least you're going to get a subject for a column. Then the next day, Jonah writes a G-file uh, dispatch notice, and he's like, which you buy and all these the people are saying to me, gee, you're going to have a great subject for a column, and I just want to rip their throats out. <laughs> so you're welcome, Jonah, because I obviously I ticked you off something fierce. Uh, is it, is it, it, did, 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 did it bug you for the thing to help you along? Did it, you because, did it bug you because it's like what, anybody talking about something terrible? That the, the, Well, this is good material. Yeah. That yeah. Is? yeah. It's exactly yeah. that. I mean, it's... Um, and it wasn't just John. It was a lot of people. And they're like, oh, this is great for a G-File fodder and all that kind of stuff. But I was also getting all sorts of grief from people saying, you whiny, bitchy pundit who are, you know, you as, as yeah. a bunch of people call it, you COVID traveler. Like, that is like oh, right. uh, arcane. Um, you're complaining when other people are you know, truly suffering and yada, yada, yada. And they, look, there's a point there. I did not have it nearly as bad as a lot of people in Texas have, uh-huh. but there is something that does not detract from your suffering. My, well, the stress of yeah. right. doing this surprise birthday daddy-daughter trip with your daughter that um, has all sorts of special emotional baggage because it's like the last birthday before she goes to college and right. she's lost her senior year of high school and she's getting stir-crazy from the pandemic – and you go to Austin, and all these things that you planned and promised to be able to do, you can't do. And instead, you find yourself bribing someone at the front desk of your hotel um, to slip you two granola bars from the staff vending machine. Because you can't, not only can you not feed your daughter the stuff that you promised, you know, we were going to do barbecue and Tex-Mex and all this stuff that she loves. 
And instead, she was like, I'm starving, and if I could just have a granola bar, I'd be able to sleep. <laughs> and so it's like there's a certain fatherly stress that I'm right. not particularly accustomed right. to of forget disappointing your daughter in terms of, like, a Can't fun trip. Provide. Like, literally, yeah. you know, sort of Thunderdome, who do I have to shiv to get a granola bar for no, my kid kind of feeling? So it was, it was, un, it was unpleasant. I mean, I will, I will say that. Well, it sounds like a terrific book. I'm going to cut out your heart with a broken bottle. The COVID um, thing is interesting because I have just returned, as John said, from Africa. Uh-huh. And the and I travel. I have tra- I, I traveled a great deal in places that were before the fall of the Berlin Wall and and after the fall. And I've gone to places where uh, you know they're run by despotic psychopaths. But there is something COVIDy about. Well, you need to have a PCR test four days, not more, but four days or fewer before you travel. You need to show that, and you can you can download the app and put on a QR code. KLM means KLM says you need to have an antigen test four hours before the flight. So they have antigen test facilities, basically where the where the the, the airport spas were the same the same people who do the back rubs, um, and and everyone knows the antigen test is is, is just bullshit. Everybody knows it's completely ridiculous. They just it's a Q-tip up the nose for no reason. The, the findings are completely uh, unreliable. It's just it's just this horrible kabuki theater you go through, and and it's really it's a shakedown. So in in, in New York, it's two hundred dollars for the PCR the, the the antigen test before the flight. In Nairobi, it's thirty five dollars, which I guess is just the but it's the same Q-tip up the same nose, and the same fifteen minute wait for the same kabuki answer. Uh, and if you if you make the mistake of saying, "Oh, here here's the thing," I actually I actually am, I've recovered. I had COVID and I recovered from it. Then other alarm bells go off. So I saw a woman do that ahead of me, and I what she thought was going to make it a simpler system. And I and the, what I, I never saw the woman again. I mean, I don't know what they did to her. <laughs> and I just I was no, I've just I've, I've been full compliance. And you end up with like pieces of paper that are like here that you want your antibodies. <laughs> right, right. We will pick your antibodies. I still have pieces of paper that I'm ready to show people, it's but like I, getting, I never need. It's like getting kidnapped for your. It's like getting kidnapped for your liver in Guadalajara. Yeah, right. Something. You wake up in the morning and you're in an ice in an ice bath. A bunch of KLM staffers eating your spleen. So why um, did you go to Africa? I just really wanted to, like, see (laughs) 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 a very uh, dear uh, friend of mine. uh, uh, Two two friends of mine. They're married, and they um, invited me. I see. So I I said yes. And my my advice to you, two pieces of advice. One is somebody asks you to do that. Always say yes. I have to tell you that uh, that I more I now know more people for whom when I tell them this they say to me, "Oh man, that's been on my bucket list. I want." I'm like, it, that was ne- it has never been on my bucket list. I'm not interested in animals. I just like yeah, lion. Yeah. Um, and then uh, it's cool. It's amazing. I, I totally recommend it. If, if, if you're an idiot like me and it was not on your bucket list, put it on your bucket list. Well, where in Africa were you? Because we in Kenya. Okay, because yeah, here Kenya is great, but it's like. Oh, you must visit Africa. There's a certain kind of first world myopia. Yeah, this giant, you know. giant. Yeah, the, well, I mean, I've been to the, I've been to the northern Africa and the Sahel and the Sahara. The Sahara Desert itself is the size of the United States of America. 
So you just get a sense of how big Africa is. And Kenya is really huge, although it's not as big as Algeria. Um, but also just a wild variety of everything there. And just the crazy thing of like, you know, you wake up and then there are, there are elephants right there. And there's a, you know, we saw, I saw a lion, I saw, we saw, I saw lions mating. So hot. Whoa. I know a website where you can see them. Um, there, there, <laughs> no, you, you know a website where I can see people in lion costumes, maybe. That's different. <laughs> there is a fantastic movie set in colonial Kenya with um, Sarah Miles and called White Mischief, which oh, is yeah. about a murder, which is about a murder in Kenya when it was when it was a British colony. And uh, there is a moment at the beginning of the movie. When uh, Sarah Miles emerges from her bedroom, opens uh, herself onto the veranda, she's in a in a sleek silk nightgown, framed against this beautiful house with this unbelievable sort of vista in front of her, and she says, "Another blanking beautiful day." <laughs> she doesn't say blanking, right? And just this contempt on her face from this, like, I'm so sick of all this beauty, all this African beauty. Anyway, it's a great movie. I haven't seen it in 30 years. But um, but uh, that, of course, and out of Africa. Of course. I had a farm in Africa at the foot of the Ngong Hills. Out of Africa. I had a farm. Uh, but I was just say the second lesson I learned was the first lesson was just do it. The second lesson was that there's a certain fatigue. It was there for two weeks, a certain fatigue that sets in every day because you just see just these insane things. You get, you get used to them. And um, we saw some rhinos far away and didn't see any rhinos close like up. Like Lisa Murkowski? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of rhino jokes. Um, but I wanted to see – we wanted to see them. And so the last day, everybody's kind of tired. Like, I don't know if we want to go out in the afternoon. But uh, the, our guide, who's brilliant and wonderful, and if anybody's seriously thinking about doing this, I'll give you his name. He's, he's the, uh, unbelievably great. Um, he said, well, I'm going to go out at 5. I'm just going to go out at 5 myself. If anybody wants to go out at 5, we'll go out at 5. So just me and, and my host, actually, went out, just the two of us and the guide. And we saw a rhinoceros and her, uh, and her cub, I think, um, just grazing – uh, uh, and then a calf, yeah. And then, a, uh, and then uh, about 200 yards away, lions. And so there were, li- and, and and we saw, of course, we'd seen um, the only thing we didn't see that day were leopards, which would be the big five, you know. And you just see the, you just uh, wow, they're they're lions, and oh, they're the they're the rhinos, and they're just sort of standing there, and they're kind of chewing, they kind of look at you, and they're kind of giving you an eye, and then and uh, they're 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 carrying about 200 thousand dollars worth of horn. Uh, uh, in China, anyway, um, so they're to say they're in danger. They're a black rhino, which is sort of rare. So only six thousand left. Hmm. Well, five thousand nine hundred ninety-eight because I took two of them. <laughs> kidding, kidding, my friends. I'm can a I, uh, anyway. Always, always, always go on the late game drive. Never think that you're just I just you know how many swimming, how many beautiful swimming pools are there going to be in your life? You know, a thousand, two thousand, you know, hotels, whatever. There's only 6,000 of uh, these rhinos, and you get to see them. You have to give up an afternoon swimming pool. Can I tell you a joke about the uh, the the, uh, the Bernstein Safari? <laughs> yeah, right ahead. So uh, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Bernstein have a son, Jeremy, and it's, uh, Jeremy's bar mitzvah is coming up. And, uh, you know, Mr. Bernstein owns a, a clothing factory, and they're very well-to-do. And uh, Mrs. Bernstein says, look, we got to do something special. we got to do something special. 
all these bar mitzvahs are the same. They're all we're in a ballroom, and there's a there's a there's a ballroom, and there's a there's a band, and then there's dancing, and there's some toys, and all this. And every bar mitzvah is the same. We need to do something different. We have to do something special so that everybody will know that Jeremy is a fine boy and that we are an excellent family. Let us take everybody to Kenya to go on a safari. Wow. We're going on a safari to Kenya. And he's like, safari to Kenya? What is this? Because she says it doesn't matter what it costs. We're flying everyone, and we're going. So they get on the plane. They go to Kenya. There's 200 people. They're met at the airport. They, they're met by the guides. They get into a giant caravan of cars. They're driving down the road, and they're stopped. And they stop dead, and they can't move. And they're, you know, going to some nature preserve, and it's like an hour and then two hours, and finally Mr. Bernstein is like, what the hell is going on? Why aren't we moving? And the guide says, well, the Shapiro bar mitzvah is ahead of you. <laughs> so that's, that's my – Wow. <laughs> There's a bar mitzvah joke for yeah. every country. Oh, oh so just to keep up uh, the, 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 the anti-Semitism um, – I, I made a mental note. I was uh, three, four hours ago. I was reading, uh, which I'd never read, the Georges Simenon uh, detective, policier noir Parisian uh, detective story uh, with uh, Inspector Magritte or Magret or Magret, whatever it is. Uh, and uh, it's it's the it's the um, uh, the Westcott Hotel or what? One of those hotels. It's set in a hotel. And then there's a they, 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 it's about a blackmail and a murder, and they're trying to and they track down this uh, uh, basically old fashioned UPS store essentially where you can get your mail anonymously, um, and it's run by a repugnant man. They keep saying he's a repugnant man, and uh, McGray comes in and says, "You better you got to tell me who's uh, been getting the." The, his checks at this address, and the brother's like, "I'm not going to tell you anything, copper." Yeah, this I I, I operate on a on a need to know basis, and you don't need that kind of dialogue. But he's a repugnant man. They finally drag him in um, and make a deal with him because he's so low. They make a deal with him where he says, "I'll tell you, uh, I'll tell you if I recognize this person behind the glass, but you have to do X, Y, and Z for him." And he 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 hammers out a bargain, and they say, "Fine, what's your name?" And he says, "Abraham Levy Cohen." Just like, man, like, you gotta like put the, put it down, put your Kindle down for a minute. Like, boy, they get you know, yeah, wow. Well, Simonon, the author of that book, was of mm-hmm. course one of the most despicable people who who ever lived, as I recall. Yeah, I mean, I don't know, whoever lived, and um, uh, is said said claimed to have slept with twenty thousand women. Hmm. hmm. So uh, there was a point oh, that's about as many as, as white rhinos as there are. But who had slept with more? Was it Simonon, the French mystery writer, or was it Wilt Chamberlain? Wow. Who also, I believe, claimed to have slept with 20,000 women. If you do the math, this is, does not work. This does not work out. It would seem like it might work out, but it probably doesn't work out. But um, yeah, he was an anti-Semite. He was a mm. collaborator. He was all he was a he all, was, all the good things, all the yeah, greatest all greatest the French hits of the 20th century. But he was good wrote, to his dogs, <laughs> and he wrote these matter. novels. He wrote these books in three days or something like that. This one's to a couple. Uh, Joni, you should go to, uh, to Kenya if only to see um, dog-like creatures mm-hmm. that have dog-like uh, behaviors. Uh, jackals are just yeah. like these little cute dogs running around, like kind of scrappy. You know, they they know they're not strong enough to really fight too much, but they're they're they want to be in the hunt. 
Um, and then of course hyenas, which are which are the dogs of the of of, of, the, of the hunt. And hyenas are scary things. They're like uh, they're real. So I discovered recently. I'm looking up the uh, name to be sure I got it right. Yeah, the black-footed cat. Oh yeah, which is uh, throughout much of Africa, and it is considered. First of all, it's friggin' adorable, and it's also like one of the deadliest predators in all of Africa in terms of like. Every night it kills like sixty things or something like that, <laughs> but it's like a cartoon character because it's 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 super adorable and one of the most ferocious creatures pound for pound on the planet. And I, I would like to see one of those. When you see and these animals with their uh, babies, mm-hmm. it really is that they, they are all adorable. I mean, uh, the the lioness with the lion cubs is incredibly adorable and they just they're playing and they're rolling around you realize that they're all they all have bloody muzzles they've had a kill they just they've taken some some a zebra down and you're like wow that's like you know, just, oh they're so cute like the the hyena and her pups it's really cute uh, the other thing that's fun is is the is the group names you know the like a murder of crows kind murder of, of crows uh, or uh, um uh, a murmuration of starlings. Oh, that's mm. that a good one. And then uh, uh, a, gir- a giraffe walking is a journey, and giraffes just standing there is a tower. Look at that tower of giraffe. And approaching there is a journey of giraffes. <laughs> it's great. So you're like every, every now and then I worry. You ever see Continental Divide with John Belushi? Yeah. yeah. Right. So he goes off in the wilderness, and eventually he goes native, and he comes back. Instead of being like the Jimmy Breslin, hard bitten reporter guy of Chicago politics, he writes 6,000-word piece about the beauty of nature and discovering your soul at a sunrise and all that kind of stuff. Every now and then, I listening to you, I worry that you're going to go that way, but then you redeem yourself by being cynical and dark. <laughs> you know what? Like, I saw, I've seen all these things. I've seen them. I've, I've, been, to the, I've been to the Kilimanjaro Safari at, 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 at Animal Kingdom at, at Walt Disney World. Oh, that's fine then. I've Could seen you, them. And when I was a kid, all? and Jonah may remember this, there was this pseudo amusement park. There was an amusement park attached to a wild animal park in New Jersey called Great mm-hmm. Adventure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Village. It was a Six Flags, and then there was the safari. So <laughs> I begged and begged and begged oh. and begged my, my parents. To take us to Great Adventure. Uh, my father was not a, uh, at that point in his life, was not a particularly fun-loving person and certainly didn't like to take long drives in traffic to go to an amusement park he didn't want to go to. So by the time we got there, driving from Manhattan, um, tempers were, were high. Uh, the, the mood in the car was not great. You wouldn't believe that. And you pay this money in the car, so you drive through the safari, you drive through the, the animal park to see the animals. Right. And they're like, well, you don't know who you're going to see. You don't know what you're going to see because, you know, it's whatever happens and all of this. So we drive around. My father's like, all right, where, where are the goddamn giraffes? <laughs> <laughs> we drove half an hour, saw not a single animal. And by the time we're like out, my father's like, I can't believe we goddamn drove. All the way, you know, two hours in the car, and we didn't even see a goddamn giraffe. You didn't even see it. Not a tower, not a journey. I'm triggered now by the very thought of going to Africa. Because if it's me, I'll get there, and what I'll hear in my head is, 
where are the goddamn baby giraffes? <laughs> so I came all this way to see the baby giraffes. You will see where them. That's the thing. Oh, you will see okay. them. When I was a kid, well, the Goldbergs were always zoo attending. We were zoo people. And whenever we traveled, we would go to zoos and we like zoos and all that kind of stuff. And um, my dad, who was a fairly fastidious fellow, um, we were at the Lisbon Zoo. And looking at this, uh, not a gorilla, maybe it was a chimpanzee. It was a large monkey creature. And uh, and I have to be delicate because this is a family podcast. The monkey mm-hmm. saw that we were watching them, watching him, turned it around with his back to us, <laughs> bent over, <laughs> and proceeded to give himself... Among the most thorough proctological exams you could imagine, <laughs> like right at my dad's eye level. And my dad made a face that for the rest of our life, whenever we would talk about something that disgusted my father, we would say, you're making the Lisbon monkey face. <laughs> that is pretty great. Um, the uh, uh, Among the amazing things you see, uh, I saw, uh, um, I saw a, a pair of lions mating. And um, they do, do it over two or three days uh, for about seven seconds apiece. So, like, so seven seconds. I was impressed for a second. There. Yeah, right. Uh, well, yeah, it was like, seven seconds is pretty impressive for some people anyway. Um, what Prince would call slow love. Yeah, but seven <laughs> seconds, but over you know a couple a couple days, uh, every hour or two hours. Um, and and uh, the 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 lions. I'm, I think we can say a lion's penis. I think I can say penis. Um, has a barb on it. So when he withdraws, it really hurts her. And Give I, a new we, meaning to the don't stop. Yeah, right. So, so, well, this took a turn. Well, wait. So, <laughs> and so we're, I'm watching this, and the guide is saying, here's what's going to happen. It's going to happen. And you know it's over because he's when he when he's done he withdraws, and the lioness turns around and looks at him and snarls in pain, and then takes a swipe at him. And so you can almost always tell when the lion pair is mating because the lion, the male lion, has these giant scratches on his face from the lioness, and wow. and and it's exactly what happened. It's exactly you know, what they're done. Wow. Yeah, you know, Rob, marital strife is a real thing, and particularly in 2021 when we've all been <laughs> in this time of, of COVID. In this time of COVID, because you know, mental health in general uh, is a is a thing that we really need to concentrate on. So many people are struggling right now. So many couples, so many Great parents, time, so many children, yeah. and aren't feeling like their normal selves. And therapy helps, but it doesn't just have to be sitting around talking about your feelings. What is therapy exactly? It's whatever you want it to be. You can talk privately to someone if you feel like you're not dealing well with stress or you're having those relationship issues like the lions. Whatever you need, it's time to stop being ashamed of normal human or leonine struggles and start feeling better because you deserve to be happy. And now you don't have to worry about finding an in-person therapist near you to help. Better help is customized online therapy that offers video, phone, and even live chat sessions with your therapist. So you don't have to see anyone on camera if you don't want to. It's much more affordable than in-person therapy, and you can start communicating with your therapist 
in under 48 hours. Join the millions who are seeing what therapy is really about. See if it's for you because you are your greatest asset. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp and Glop Culture listeners. Get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash glop. That's better, H-E-L-P dot com slash glop. Thanks to BetterHelp for sponsoring the glop podcast. I wonder if there's any confusion because there's also the gambling addicts hotline called Better Help. Is that true? Or did you just make that? <laughs> they wanted me to spell help. So it obviously something, there's better something. I see. But they want to spell help, H-E-L-P, betterhelp. Betterhelp.com. Dot com. Um, Okay, we're going to do this quickly because Rob hasn't seen it, but we are we are tomorrow uh, as we and I'm not Thursday, so well yeah. tomorrow morning we'll we'll see the I think eight the ninth episode of WandaVision released on on Disney Plus and uh, I have to say I think it's fantastic if you're not watching it even if you don't like superhero stuff even if you don't like generally speaking you don't like um, sitcoms <laughs> I don't know how to describe it. It is one of the most original television programs ever made, uh, and uh, and I am loving the hell out of it. Jonah, I agree. It's um, in some ways, I think it's better than The Mandalorian, and I love The Mandalorian. I think Mandalorian's great, wow. but like once you figure out what the shtick of The Mandalorian is, you kind of get it. It's a serial western kind of thing, and and this is simul- is is. First of all, it's just it's supremely well done. I mean, whoever does the set design stuff should get an Emmy. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so meta in its play on sitcom stuff with, you know, while still doing fan service to sort of Marvel superhero movie stuff. I just think it's it's really amazingly well done, and I don't think there's a bad acting job in the in the whole thing, at least not among the major players. And um, and I'm one of those people who was just stunned when I realized that Wanda Maximoff is the little sister of the Olsen twins. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. Which Wait, is- what? <laughs> yeah, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Olsen, the star of WandaVision, who plays the Scarlet Witch in the Avengers movies and is the star of the show, is Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen's little sister. <laughs> wow. Yeah. And they got a- they are interesting people. Yes, they're interesting. She became a sort of indie movie player ah. in the. She went to Tisch at the NYU and they she graduated. NYU, didn't they? The she made a couple of. Uh, she made a movie called um, Martha May Marlene, something like that, when she was twenty-one, and she did indie stuff. And then she got cast in the Avengers, and here she is. She's now in her early thirties and is a, 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 a. This is a superb. Performance. Good for her. Like yeah. She was doing seventy different things yeah. in these in these scenes. I mean, it's, it's so surprisingly rich and complicated, and it, most of it depends on her mood. Uh, right. Her and Paul Bettany, who plays her robotic AI husband, Vision, um, they're doing things in the acting of this uh, that are, are really quite, quite startling. Anyway, it's a, it's a, it's a great show. It's one of the few things I can like unambiguously recommend this year. Cause yeah. And it's, and it's also good for kids and grownups in all sorts of ways. I, I'd watched the first five or six episodes on my own. And then because I was stuck in the frozen hellscape that was Austin, um, I got my daughter to, I, I was happy to rewatch them. And, 
my daughter had a major phase as a, as a younger kid. Um, loved I, I Love Lucy. Um, did a whole huge school report about Lucille Ball and and loved old sitcoms and all that kind of stuff. And her main criticism is she wished it had stayed black and white for the full first season and yeah. stayed wow. as the Dick Van Dyke show ripoff, you know, or even the Bewitched ripoff for much longer and, and did the reveal to the Avengers. And my, my daughter loves the Marvel movies, but she just was so swept away by the by the sitcom stuff and thought it was just like a legit good sitcom. Um, for the first two episodes. Yeah. The other thing is that is that this uh, the this couple uh, uh, the Lopez's um, Robert and 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 Kristen. Uh, so he wrote uh, Avenue Q and the Book of Mormon, and together they wrote the they wrote the uh, uh, songs in Frozen and uh, what's that big song in for Let It Go and you know won Oscars and stuff. And they each episode of this show has a theme song, a pastiche theme song in the mode of the theme songs of sitcoms of the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, 2010s. And then there is the fantastic flashback reveal moment when the Munsters and Adams family are echoed mm-hmm. in the in the in the in the most recent episode. Oh, yeah. Uh, when you discover who the bad guy really is, which I don't want to blow. Anyway, it's just you know, it's a, it's a it's a everyone's been doing nothing but watching TV for a year, and uh, I have to say, I was saying to Scott, our producer, Kevin Feige or Feige, whatever, however you pronounce his name, the 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 sort of the major domo of the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the guy who runs the Marvel Pictures and has since two thousand and eight, maybe the single most significant producer in the history of motion pictures. This guy's now made, they've made 19 movies that have changed the nature of how movies are done. Um, The last seven, uh, there hasn't been a real stinker for five years or something like that. And now they go to television, they make this series, and it is spectacular and unexpected, and the production values are colossally good. They've got two other series coming, one called The Falcon and the Winter Soldier and another called Loki. One has every con it's they're they're gonna be worth watching because you see this and it's like these guys know what they're doing like in a way that few people, creative I don't know what you call them, because he's managing a corporate resource, but doing so in the most creative fashion. Uh that it's just a, a kind of an incredible achievement, I think. Anyway also coming up on your streaming TV screen uh, next week is a new streaming service called Paramount Plus. Here's an interesting thing. All of a sudden, just like the letter E started standing in or I standing in for everything yeah. with, um, right in the 90s with everything.com, right? Yeah. Yeah, people would say, like, in an email thing, they would say, nice to e-meet you. Remember that? Yeah. Uh, Holly, yeah, he's yeah. not really meeting me. So suddenly now, somehow the word plus has now become the assigning word for a streaming service. Right? right. So now it's Paramount Plus. Plus what? There hasn't been a Paramount. Paramount thing. Yeah, it was like, okay, so now there's Paramount Plus. It's starting in the place of CBS All Access, which was the uh, the previous thing. And they which announced... Was successful, by the way. Huh? Which was successful. Yeah. And they announced this... Uh, 
slate of programs. A question, uh, just factual sure. question. I was a subscriber to CBS, whatever, All Access. Yeah. Am I automatically a Paramount Plus person? I think I, so. okay. I, think, I so. think you might be. I think, yeah, they, they, they certainly have no reason to cut you off and make you right. subscribe again. <laughs> Once they got you, they're going to keep you as, as readily as they possibly can. Um, so they announced this a slate of television shows that they're going to make over the course of the next year. Right. And it is jaw drop. So they're making these are not they're doing remakes, but they're not movies. They're they're limited series television shows, right? Or they're whatever. So here's what they are: Flashdance, Love Story, Fatal Attraction. Right. I can't remember what else. And, uh, parallax view. The parallax view. <laughs> oh, okay. that's a good one. Okay. So I don't know if you guys remember what Love Story is about. Love Story is about a yeah, rich yeah, yeah. kid at Harvard who falls in love with dies. a poor scholarship student at Radcliffe. And his family doesn't like her because she's poor. And he's preppy and she's not. And they fall in love and they romp around the snow. And then she gets a mysterious illness and dies. And that's it's 90 minutes. Yeah. And half of it is them walking in the snow and there's like music playing. And yeah, it's not the Al Gore story, hours? despite what yeah. Al Gore said, Yeah, right? exactly right. That's exactly right. right. Based on us, except yeah. for the death. Except for the actual second and third act of the movie. Yeah. yeah uh, the reason there's a movie. And they're going to make ten hours out of this? Well, they made an hour and a half out of it. Why can't they make the book, ten hours out of it? The book, which was written after the screenplay by Eric Siegel, is like a hundred pages long. Look, here's the thing. All of this could work. Okay. It could work. Like, there's no way of looking at it and saying, oh, this can't work. Of course it could work. No one says it, it can't, can't work. work. It, it could be great. It, there's no reason you can't stretch a love story with a death out by ten episodes. You can stretch amazing things out by ten episodes. Half the stuff I hear about people say, yes, Scott, I said this about Quibi. It could have worked. The fact that it <laughs> did work is not a sign. Any idiot can say, of that's not going to work. work. That's not going to work. That's no good. That is an right. amateur move. Okay. That's a damn You're not in show business if you say that's not going to work. I can tell. You can't tell. It okay. could have worked. Forget springtime for Hitler work. Exactly the point. <laughs> so here's that could, by the way, that could work for ten episodes. Okay. So you know, it's just like that's the bullshit that people say when you go like, "Well, you were wrong about Trump. Trump won." Yes, that's okay. true. The the coin can land on its side. Okay. But it didn't. Hide, it was not. If you think, if you think <laughs> it was inevitable or obvious, then you then you I I think you're stupid. Because I so, think it's kind of stupidity to say that can't work. I can tell. Okay. I, I read a log line. I know that's not going to work. Poor, I've been doing this for 37 years. I've got no f***ing idea if it's going to work so, or not. So, so just so people know. Sitting there. That's our producer, Scott. He's sitting there. He just sent, like, a quiet message that you can't see that said he said the same about Quibi. And Rob just went. Yes. For listeners, because you guys don't have video, we can see each other. And if you were on mute, you would think that 
Rob, who looked more animated and passionate than I think I've ever seen him, was doing his best Hitler impersonation, giving a speech about <laughs> yeah. how Poland belongs Downfall. to us. Steiner's counterattack Steiner. is going to bring all this under control. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, uh, but here's what's interesting. So, they're they're branding whatever their shows are. They're using their Paramount Library famous names. They're going to make right. shows out of them, right? Peacock, which is the NBC streaming service, which is different because it's free. Uh, and well, they're going to have they're going to have uh, Peacock Plus. They're, okay, but right, right, they don't. Yeah, joke. I don't know. So they just they just premiered. They have two shows. They have Saved by the Bell, seventy five years later. <laughs> and Punky really, Brewster, yeah. 75 years later. Right. So on Saved by the Bell, apparently it's Woke Saved by the Bell, where it's people of privilege, and Zach is the governor, and I don't know what the, what the hell is going on. Okay. Sounds like Benson. Punky Brewster is now a divorced we, we mother. We redoing that, too. A divorced mother who takes in a foster child like, like Punky Brewster was a, a foster child. So now she is a foster mother, as well as having... As well as having kids and uh, like that. Now, I, I just want to ask you this: Punky Brewster is a is an impressive name for like to to reboot because it's so um it, it, it it's such a preposterous name that became a meme before there was a meme. Even if you never saw the show Punky Brewster, it was like you know like a punchy sprightly eight year old girl Punky Brewster, right? So, but who wants to see Punky Brewster? Who who was the world the biggest? Yeah. The biggest shows on these streaming services. I keep yeah. saying it over and over again. It is yeah. not not true. The biggest shows are reruns. Right. Peacock got the Office back from Netflix, which, by the way, Netflix was a, a huge pillar of Netflix success. Subscriber success was based on. Office reruns. They pull the office reruns and they get Peacock. They're now doing really well on Peacock. Right. The, all of this other stuff is froth and interesting, and people and nerds want to talk about it. People the paying other, the price right. want to watch Funky Brewster. It could work. I didn't think Funky Brewster could work the first time, but it worked the first time too. That's why we're talking about it. So, like, you have to say, like, I don't think Funky Brewster is going to work now. It worked once. It's with George Gaines and Soleil Moon Fry. And by the way, Soleil Moon Fry, as a, I mean, I, I don't mean this in a weird way, she developed early. <laughs> and that was part of the appeal of the show. To whom? Not to me. I didn't watch the show. To Jeffrey but Epstein. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, yeah. maybe. Yeah. But look, that it's like it could work. You want to using titles that people already know is a it, it saves you fifty million dollars in promotion. I think I think what we need is a rebooted Mr. Belvedere with nothing but special episodes about about child molesters. Well, you like know, that, remember that very special yeah. episode of Different Strokes with Gordon sure. Jones. Oh yeah, yeah. Well, and 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 the very wow. special yeah, Gordon jumped the child molester and uh, or the was he a was he a child molester or was he a was he an exposer? I he think he's a child molester. He invited, yeah. and then there was he invited the, Arnold, Arnold and his friend to watch X-rated cartoons. Right. Yeah, there was the, the weird thing about that was like, and, and no one thought that Mr. Drummond was up to something. I will not sit here and let you badmouth Mr. Drummond. Like, what's he doing? Like, what's Mr. Yeah. 
Okay, let's talk about family affair. We really want to go into this. These three urchins come move in with three, Uncle two. Bill and Mr. French. Oh, right. Yeah. Mr. French. Yeah. I'll just be in the back. But he's the, the butler. The back of the kitchen. He's the butler. He's the butler and yeah, uh, uh, Uncle uh, Bill. They're the, it's the uncle. Uncle Bill's their, their, uh, their swinging architect bachelor uncle. Yeah. And the I, doorknobs are in the center of the door. The That's doorknobs, how you knew they were they had high fashion. <laughs> like they're in an apartment building in yeah. New York, and then they have like they have a door from a Victorian mansion. They, now, if you were if you were our age, door. all you remember about those shows really was that eventually someone would say about every single one of those shows, you know, Buffy died of a drug overdose. Everyone's always dying, <laughs> or Jody Jody died in Vietnam. Yeah, but Buffy did die of a drug overdose. That's true. Buffy did. She, um, yeah, yeah, she did. And, and then, do we, so like, I'm pretty sure this is not true, but I would have bet you my life savings, which was mostly in the form of quarters and nickels at the time, that it was true that Mikey from the Life cereal commercials died from an overdose of Coke, drinking Coca-Cola and Pop Rocks. I believe that's true. That's fact. That's canon. <laughs> that's true. Nothing, nothing should be truer than that. And you know what else is true? Particularly now that we've been through a year of COVID. Look, I'm in sure you're sick. You have to say, you have to say in sure this time of COVID. And tired of cooking. Cooking, cooking, cooking. Right? So Freshly, Freshly will help you. Freshly offers quality meals without the hard work of prepping, cooking, and cleaning. Chef-made, nutrient-packed, delicious meals delivered fresh to your door. No cooking required. Grocery shopping and cooking can be a pain, especially right now, but with Freshly, you don't have to. Your meals arrive fresh and cooked every week so you can keep your fridge stocked and skip the trip to the store. Ordering is easy. Visit Freshly.com and choose from over 30 delicious, satisfying, better-for-you meals like steak, peppercorn, sausage, baked penne, or their chicken pesto bowl. Freshly can fit your lifestyle with a variety of plans and meals to pick from that work for your dietary needs, preferences, tastes, and family size. And now our listeners can try Freshly for just $6.16 per meal. Stop searching the internet for healthy food near me every night and start living life freshly. Those meals always delivered fresh, never frozen, and are ready to heat and enjoy in just three minutes. With new meals added each week, Freshly brings the convenience of chef-made nutritionist design classics right to your kitchen. And right now, Freshly is offering our listeners $40 off your first two orders when you go to Freshly.com slash glop. Stop stressing about dinner. Go to Freshly.com slash glop for 40 bucks off your first two orders. That's Freshly.com slash glop for 40 bucks off your first two orders. Thanks to Freshly for sponsoring the Glock podcast. And guys... I think that I deserve a round of applause. That was the best ad read I have ever done. I really? think that was the That's best good. ad I've ever done. It's a very good product. That's probably also what helps. That I, Look, you, you can't, you know, it, you can put lipstick on a pig, but it's still a pig. But if you do a great ad read, it's got to have speak to the, the virtue of the product. Jonah, wokeness all over. Yes. Wokeness. So we have the New York Times defenestrating uh, Donald O'Neill for the crime of having a conversation with a teenager in Peru uh, where he used the N-word, uh, apparently descriptively, not proscriptively, and uh, 
and was deemed to have two years later made people at the New York Times feel unsafe. Following that, Mike Pesca of Slate, uh, for the sin of having uh, had a conversation on Slack about O'Neill's defenestration and McNeil's defenestration and having two years earlier decided had a conversation in which they decided not to use the N-word in reporting uh, in a podcast where they were dealing with a story involving the use of the N-word, and they decided not to use it, he has been essentially suspended without pay forever, and, you know, his, I assume he's done, done for, for having decided not to use the N-word. In a, in a conducting a conversation in which he did not use the N-word. Huh. Uh, so, um, here's my question. Uh, should we sit and laugh and enjoy that liberals are eating each other alive? Or is this just, this is like the end of everything because they're, they're eating each other alive and they're going to eat everybody else alive and they're going to get, they're going after people. They're going to go after your, you know, somebody at the, you know, at the Wendy's drive through for not saying the right thing. And the whole country is going to go up in flames. Um, you know. I try really hard not to get so caught up in the some of the right-wing obsessions with the cancel culture thing because it's often just a, hey, look at this shiny thing over there that we can all be mad about and let's not deal with our own problems. But this is a real friggin' problem. And um, if you guys haven't read it, the New York Times piece by what's his name, Michael Powell, about yeah. Smith College, um, you know, congratulations for the Times for exposing – this thing at Smith College, but you have to wonder, shouldn't they write a similar piece about the New York Times? Um, and the, the main thing, look, I, I, one of the things I hate about this this controversy is I don't want to be in a position to, like, use the N-word in defiance to prove a point or anything. Like, I hate the word. I It feels like garbage in my mouth. I don't use it. It's a bad word. But the whole argument, I wrote a G-file about this a couple of weeks ago. The whole argument from black intellectuals on down about why it was good that African Americans have appropriated the N-word and use it in rap and, 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 and with each other is, and there are thousands of articles making this case and books making this case, is that this is a way to rob the N-word of its power. Does anyone think that it has been robbed of power? I mean, the, the nature of the power has changed. But you have, you know, like I, I, I did a look, I did a Nexus search. The New York Times has used the actual full spelled out version of the N-word 1,648 times since 1980. It, about 10 years ago, Randall Kennedy, a serious uh, black intellectual at Harvard Law, um, wrote a book with that word as the title. And the New York Times wrote about it a half dozen times favorably. And you have to wonder, like David Kirkpatrick, when he wrote this long review essay for the arts and ideas section of the New York Times, did his editor ever ask, hey, how's that piece on blank going? You know, did they ever use the word in conversations? They've, it, it is now because of the delicate sensibilities of young people who don't care about context. Um, it, is, it, is, it is like this Maoist thing. Where Pesca, I mean, I, I read that story about Pesca like twice trying to figure out what exactly his crime was. And it's like, it, 
it, it, it, they've turned it into, you know, what is it in Dune? A killing word. I and mean, then it's just like, you, it doesn't matter what kind. It's sort of like in the Monty Python skit where they translate the funniest joke in the world into German, but they don't know what it actually is because they don't want to die from laughter. And then the British soldiers walk through the forest, through the Black Forest, just reading the funniest joke in the world out loud. And all these Nazis drop from trees, <laughs> dying of laughter. It, it, it is, and it, to me, it's, I mean, look, again, I don't want to, like, start an argument about defending the N-word itself because it's a terrible word. But it's, it's, it's the tip of the spear of this larger problem where all of these institutions, the Atlantic with Kevin Williamson, it's going on on MSNBC, it's going on at the New York Times where young staffers who come out of this hothouse flower atmosphere of college campuses imbibe this white supremacy, critical race theory garbage, and they use it as sort of like, like remember the planet in Star Trek where, the, where only the young kids survived and like bonk, bonk on the head? They're using it in this sort of like Maoist way to overturn um, their, their, their superiors, and it's supremely creepy to me and I, I don't know how you fix it other than to let the fever run its course but it's it's a hot mess i think but rob in the power dynamic here we, we talk about the hothouse sensibilities and they're so offended and you know everyone's mm -hmm. a, a snowflake and they're not offended yeah they're, they're not offended yeah they're murderous this is well, a it's also just a way it's also they're they are it's a way I mean, I think it's statistically, it's 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 like uh, they're probably like you know, um, army ants. You know, there's just too many of them, and they, they they go after each other like rats in a coffee can. There's just too many young people writing blogs. There's too many there's, there's too many people with opinions trying to sell their opinions, and there are too few buyers of opinions who pay you a living wage for your opinions. So you need to reduce the number of people on the masthead. To spread the money around a little bit. That, that I mean, you know, having just seen what ha what happens on the African plain, you know, it's like you, it's deadly. Like you, they, they go after the gazelle. They go after the old uh, the old zebra. We saw a bunch of you know vultures going after a zebra, and I said, well, who took the zebra down? And the guy said, that sometimes zebras just die. They're old. And that's kind of what this is. This all feels like generational war to me. More so, than anything else, it feels like total generational war. Young people tripping up old people because I, you know you've been you're too old and you've been there too long and get out of the way. And I feel like that's what's happening here. There's only so much money. I just I didn't know that we were going to start singing the circle of life. That's it seems. To me <laughs> I'm not saying it's a good thing. <laughs> I'm just saying that I think it's like there's a pro, there's probably a. An, there's probably an economic argument, economics just, uh, um, explanation for this. Like, it all seems so <clears throat> insane and overdone. And it's like, if mentioning the title of that book would get you into trouble, um, so that the idea is really more like, I've, I've, I've got to find a way to get rid of the upper three levels at the New York Times as soon as possible because I need those jobs because. You know, there's just, a, there's just too many of us in college. I have a great reboot idea. So if you remember, uh, one of the, the probably the greatest satirical Broadway musical is How to Succeed in Business Without Really Trying, which is a story about how a window washer in a week goes from being the window washer in the building to becoming the CEO of the corporation. And how does he do it? He does it by, he's, a very, he's got this manual. And it's like the manual says... You know, don't take this job. Take that job. Say this when this. And he follows right, the manual, right. and he ends up uh, 
he ends up running the corporation. So for twenty, so we should have Paramount Plus remake How to Succeed. Yeah. Uh, only the manual is the woke manual. Say someone makes you feel unsafe, get his job, right? Say this person used the N-word, get his job. And eventually you end up at the top of the food chain. But, of course, that's real satire. So it, yeah, it would, be, it would yeah, never happen. Yeah, be making fun of something and they would have an extra teeth. That, yeah, but, I mean, I, 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 mean I, would just, I, would even, I would even probably agree with a Marxist analysis of this. I mean, or, or like a bloodless economic analysis of this. It just really seems like young people, they got out of college, they were promised a lot of stuff. It ends up actually not being that great. They all want to be in media. They've been told that they're brilliant and everything that comes out of their mouth is genius. And so now they think, why can't I get paid for the stuff that comes out of my mouth? Well, you you can't really because the economics of that are really bad. There's too many of you. So why don't we get rid of um, a bunch of people in the New York Times? And then I could get that job. Well, you know, I was told years ago by somebody I know uh, at, at the New York Times, who was, by the way, not anyone that anyone who was listening to my voice might think, uh, knowing my friendships, that it's one of them, but it's not somebody else. I'm saying that to protect people Ooh, or my friends, God. but it's actually true. It's actually other friends of mine you don't even my know. other friends, that's right, my more obscure <laughs> friends. Anyway, that the, the secret of what happened at the Times when they started staffing up digitally is that the classic story of an American journalism, of course, the cliched story is someone gets out of college or whatever, goes to work at a small local paper, does well there, is recruited to work at a larger paper, then works at a large, after 10 years of experience and all this, they get to the big paper. They get to the Times, they get to the Washington Post, they get to the Wall Street Journal, having made their bones, done obits, done local cops, done night cops, done this, done that, done the other thing. And... Their goal is to get to the top of this mountain, and uh, therefore they have a vested interest in protecting and defending the uh, integrity and value of this institution mm-hmm. that they have struggled so hard to get to so that they can be at the top of the greasy pole, and therefore they want to stay there, and they want it to be as famous and respected right. and as uh, authoritative as possible. That is not true of these young staffers at the Times, all of whom have been hired in their early to mid-20s, who come out, who are not newspaper readers, who have no emotional connection to the history of journalism or any of these cliches about the, you know, the time that I had to go and, and, and talk to the, you know, the, the wife of the, of the person who was just shot. And I really learned, that's how I learned my reporting skills or learned to get cauterized. There's a whole mythos of this. And that's not who they are. They were activists. They were, you know, they, they got into writing about stuff, not really because for writing reasons, but often because they were promoting political causes or ideological causes. Opinions, yeah. And they have no, they don't look at the New York Times as something that whose reputation reflects on them well. Like, it's like, oh my God, you work at the New York Times. This is the greatest thing ever. My God, you're so lucky. There's nowhere else to go. That's not their worldview. So they go in and they're like, you know, what can I screw up? What can I disrupt here? My job is to be a disruptor. I think there's two things. One is I want the job. I just there just there's just too many of us. I mean, they're like it's like a virus, right? You just there's just too many of us. So the na- a natural thing that happens in the natural world. Um, but I, I think that's probably the, the the biggest part of it. And the second part of it is that no one really wants to do the reading. Like you don't really want. That's what you, it's much better to do a sort of a meta offended. Um, attack on the reading list than it is to actually do the reading list. 
like you know, I don't want to have to read the book. I just want to find out why I could be mad at it. Because if I'm mad at it, then I don't have to read it. And there's that kind of attitude which you, you see like I don't I, I will not read Anna Karenina. That's how that is how I'm gonna make my stand. Yeah, no, I, I look. I, I largely agree with that. There is, a, I mean, that's what I sort of mean by like this sort of Maoist cultural revolution thing. You kind of envision some seventeen-year-old kid scaring the bejeebus out of some senior party official because the, the assumption is that young people are the true inheritors of the revolutionary spirit and all that kind of thing. I agree. There's a lot of that going on. At the same time, like if you again, if you read the piece about Smith College, where this. African-American student basically destroys the life of these blue-collar $30,000 a year employees. Um, two, of whom, two of whom were not involved in the incident. That right. She, she misnamed them. Right. So there's, like, yeah. there's a witch hunt thing going on here, and I, I agree with that, too. But there's also the problem that these kids, you know, like, you know when, every, when all you have is a hammer, every problem looks like a nail. A lot of these kids from these elite institutions have been taught that the sort of racial, intersectional, whatever, white supremacy stuff is the only explanation for why something is bad. They don't know how to make a lot of these other arguments. And it, I think I mentioned on this here before, I remember 20 years ago watching a C-SPAN panel that had Christopher Hitchens and some uh, other classicist person and a young African-American woman, and they were there to argue about, like, the Iliad or some, some cla- you know, ancient classic work. And the young woman just simply didn't know how to argue about the text in any other terms other than basically this sort of race and gender theory stuff. And right. so these, these kids, they become equipped to think that this is the only way to think about things. It's sort of like AOC accusing Joe Manchin of being a racist for opposing um, Neera Tandon. It's like, does racism explain Manchin's position better than the fact that his state voted for Trump by 40 points? (laughs) You know, I mean, like, there are other modes of analysis. But a lot of these young people, they don't seem to really know what they are or think that they're interesting. And I think that's a big part of the problem, too. And then the boomers and Gen Xers who run these places are so terrified of being of being called, you know, a racist that they, they're incapable of defending themselves. You know, who else is incapable of defending himself? A person in debt. A person in debt <laughs> is a person with a lot of sorus and a lot of spilkus and a lot of trouble. And you've got multiple credit cards. You know that tracking those multiple balances, due dates, and website logins can be stressful. Upstart makes things simple with one monthly payment in one place. Upstart is the fast and easy way to get a personal loan to pay off your debt all online. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high-interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get a simple fixed monthly payment. Upstart finds smarter rates with trusted partners because they assess more than just your credit score. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate up front for loans from $1,000 to $50,000. You can get approved the same day and can receive funds as fast as one business day. If debt is taking over your life, it's time to get a fresh start with Upstart. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash clop. That's upstart.com slash clop. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know we sent you. 
Loan amounts will be determined based on your credit income and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash glop and our thanks to Upstart for sponsoring the glop podcast. So, uh, what, uh, what's, we're, we're pretty much done. Uh, I guess, um, Jonah, where can people find you these days? Um, where they find you, will you be getting that haircut that you've been promising to get? Uh, fun fact, I got a haircut and the guy convinced me to keep it long and just trim Uh it. And I'm going to hunt him down and kill him because I got to get it cut again. Um, uh, you, I don't know. I'm, I'm, you know, as some may have noticed, I'm not on Fox very much these days, but they're still paying me. Um, uh, people are free to theorize about why that is the case. But why I believe paying you or why you're not on. Uh, they're, they're, <laughs> either, frankly. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm I, not on MSNBC much anymore, but they're not paying me. Unlike you, that's where I'm. That's where the that's the big difference here. Yeah. Well, if we're going to start listing the places that I'm not on, that all, also are not paying me. <laughs> <laughs> that's a that's a large yeah. category. Yeah. Right. yeah. Okay. I'm not I'm not in any of the performances of the Metropolitan Opera. Well, this no, there season. are no performances of the yeah. Metropolitan and Opera, and I'm not getting paid. But you're not on the Mandalorian. No, that's for sure. Or the or Queen's Gambit. Anyway, that's please, true. Jonah. Yeah, I, I'm on special report once the beginning. I think March three or something like that. But um, other than that, they can find me on the Remnant podcast and at the Dispatch. Rob Martini shot. How's it going? Uh, well, was, uh, I had to take a little two-week break because I was in Africa. I don't know if I mentioned that ten times yet. Uh, but uh, it's it will it's officially launching. I mean, it'll be officially will be officially launching uh, early next month. So you, I keep saying, but I, it's really happening. Right. MartiniShotPodcast dot com. If you go there, you can subscribe and all the and it's on uh, iTunes and everywhere else too. Um, and there's plenty plenty of content there. But I'm going to start doing regularly, start adding regularly to them uh, coming up very soon. Yeah, I'll believe it when I hear it. There was a there was a moment in the uh, Real Housewives of Atlanta reunion show, which I didn't see, but I've seen the clip of it, where they the the women turned to one woman in kind of a mean girls fashion who said she was launching her line. They're all launching line clothing lines, and they, and, and, and Andy Cohen was kind of like you know stirring the pot, and he says, "So when's your clothing line that is when's your line coming out that you talked about?" And this woman is so so incredibly panicked. She just says, "Joggers." And he looks at her and says, "What?" Says, it's mostly joggers at leisure, at leisure joggers. He says, "Okay, but when?" Oh, yeah, spring, summer, spring, summer, spring, autumn, spring, autumn, autumn, winter, summer, spring. Joggers, which is basically the same thing as saying, "God, I wish I had not said on TV that I was going to do this thing, but I am going to do it. But I am actually going to do this thing." It's not. It's not a jogger situation. Okay. So I, w- one thing I have to mention before we go is uh, so Rob Rob's in Kenya, 1985, out of Africa comes out Meryl Streep, Robert Redford, story of the uh, Swedish Danish Swedish can't remember I think which Danish I think Danish, Danish writer Blixen. Karen Blixen also who wrote under the name of of, of Isaac Dennison. Mm-hmm. Um, weird because like it's like what is it Karen Blixen's not weird enough. Right, so uh, Isaac Dennison, uh, and um, this movie uh, was a runaway best pick, one best picture. No, everyone knew it was going to win the minute that it yeah. came out, and you know, uh, blah blah blah. And everyone saw it. Very prestigious, Sidney Pollack, and it was, outfits. He won. He won best director, and 
Ba-da-da-da-da. So, has anyone ever seen Out of Africa again? Yeah. Or what it's, what, can anyone say what it's about? It's kind of a love story, right? In Africa. Love story. She lives in Africa. She's married her, to a she's married to a feckless guy played by Klaus Maria Brandauer who sleeps around on her, and she falls in love with Robert Redford, who's a pilot. I had a farm in Africa at the foot of the Ngong Hills. Okay. And I remember the, the the her her the the name of her husband in real life. His first name was last name was Br- Blixen, but he was a baron, and his first name was Broer. B R O R. So his he was Baron Broer Blixen, which is like fantastic. It's like Peter like, Piper. Well, it's like a, it's like a, an old uh, you know 1950s stand-up comedy right. Chinese restaurant joke. Yeah. Or but the like, name of like three different of Santa's reindeer. Yeah, but That's so right. now and now like Baron Broer Blixen. <laughs> you made a movie like that. The notion that you would expect that it would open in 2,000 theaters and be prestige like. You'd make a movie like that, and you'd be lucky if Netflix bought it. Like, you know, every assumption of high prestige, literary adaptation, A-list, mysterious A-list yeah. star in Robert Redford, greatest actress of all time, Meryl Streep. Oh, my God, the superstar director, Sidney Pollack, just fresh off Tootsie, the giant hit. It's like a given, yeah. and now nobody would care. And maybe we shouldn't have cared then. What is the, what is the lesson? Could work. It could work. It could work. Okay. Uh, for me, uh, you can find me at commentarymagazine.com, the daily podcast, and we have merch for you for sale at merch.commentarymagazine.com. Sweatshirts, T-shirts, tote bags, give it a shot, merch.commentarymagazine.com. And uh, not only could it work, but it is working. And, and make sure that you spell it correctly because if you go to merc.commentary.com, it's a link to the JDL, and that's a completely different thing. <laughs> oh man! And the next next time we have to talk about um, the uh, the transformation of Mr. Potato Head to just Potato, potato Head. head. Yeah. Well, I just saw um, a tweet from or- the official Twitter account of Oreo Cookies saying trans people exist, <laughs> um, and I responded, uh, "Stay in your lane." Everyone knows that it's peak dreams that are the very serious cookie. So there you go. <laughs> it could work. <laughs> it could work. It, all, it could all work. What happens if it all works? See ya. Later. Uh, <laughs> I hear the drums echoing tonight. The tears only whisper. She's coming in in 12.30 flight The moonlit wings reflect the stars that guide me towards salvation I stopped an old man along the way Hoping to find some old forgotten words of ancient melodies He turned to me as if to say
Ricochet. Join the conversation. I can hear you, but I can't, I can't use, I, this doesn't, the headphones don't work. 